Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Clive Urquhart. It's great to be with you this morning uh, across all our congregations and we are in the middle of a series, three-part series. This is part two. Last week was part one, which is quite obvious, and next week will be part three. So, uh, And we're really looking at God's Lordship in our homes. So as we get into this morning, let's just pray first and just get our hearts really ready and focused on what God wants to not only say, but also do in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are Lord of our lives. And if we don't know you today, you want to be Lord in our lives in not a controlling way, but we know your Lordship liberates us. It brings freedom in our lives. And so far, I just pray for every one of us this morning as we hear your word, that you would enable us to respond. We thank you for revelation and understanding. We thank you, you're going to help us see how do we live this out in really practical ways because your word isn't just a theory. Your word has action. It produces your life in us. And Father, I just thank you that this morning is going to be life-giving into every person. Amen. Great. Now, I just want to do a recap for a few minutes just to set the scene to remind us of what we were speaking about last week and what we began and what God wants to continue doing in our lives and in our homes. We began to speak about his lordship in our homes. What does that look like? Now, as part of the, the, the things that God has been saying to us, that he wants us to, to reach 5,000 households in this 25 mile radius that we are in, in this region. And in, so far this year, as a church, we've reached over 40 new households so far this year. So I think we should thank God for what he's doing and uh, thank you for people's lives that are being changed, people that are coming to know him and everything else. So let's just really honour him this morning and thank him for what he's doing, shall we? Come on, let's praise him and thank him. Now, we began to speak about his lordship in our homes and we started with really looking at his, his peace being in our homes, his shalom. And the word shalom means his abundant well-being, complete wholeness, nothing missing, nothing lacking or nothing lost. It means the way things are supposed to be. Now, how many of you want that peace and that shalom in your home? We began that last week and I know many of you do. And uh, God wants that shalom in our homes, that, that total well-being. As part of him bringing that shalom in our home, we also looked at how do we do that? Uh, and we looked at us being priests. We looked at the priesthood of the believer. What does that actually mean? It means those who are believers, those who have relationship with God, a biblical word is that we're called priests. What is a priest? Somebody who ministers to God, but also ministers to other people. And we saw that through Constantine, through the church several hundred years ago, that priesthood of the believer in the home, that was kind of stripped out. And the responsibility that we have in our homes uh, to see God's life and power come in, that was kind of stripped and said, you have to come to a building, you have to come to a church if you're going to pray, if you're going to worship, you're going to read the Bible. And it was like the authority of the believer in the home was, was ripped out and said, you've got to come and, and, and perform all these religious duties and religious actions in a certain way to, to please God. And God doesn't want that. Uh, he wants us to come together and gather together to worship and to hear the word as a church. 
but he wants to take the religiosity away where, where certain things have come into people's minds saying, well, you have to go to church in order to do certain things. Whereas God looks at our homes and our households and our family in that context. So you are a church, you're like an ecclesia. That's the first church and how he wants to work and move in that environment. So God wants to restore the priesthood of every believer and through that priesthood, through us as priests or believers, or like last week we said, we're the pastors in our homes. God wants to bring his shalom in. Now, in that context, we also spoke about Sabbath. What is Sabbath? The word Sabbath means rest or rested. It means to be, uh, to take time out. It means an appointed time, but it actually means more than just appointed. It means a holy appointed time. And we saw that from Genesis chapter one and two, that God started the Sabbath and, and put it into place uh, after he created, brought creation into place after six days and on the seventh day he rested. Now, Adam and Eve, the first day of their life was Sabbath. That's pretty cool. So when, when God created them on the sixth day, the next day they lived wasn't, okay, Adam, get to work and get busy and produce and you got to go, go, go and produce, produce, produce. No, he said, the first thing that I want you to do is abide with me, is rest with me. Come into my abode, which is his presence. I want you to spend time with me because I've set this day apart as a holy time, as a sacred time. It's an appointed time that I want to be with you. And so God brought that in right at the beginning of creation. And so when we look at Sabbath, it's easy to think that well, Sabbath is Jewish, but actually the Sabbath is not Jewish. What, what the Jews were doing was, was they were observing the Sabbath, something that God put in place for them to, to honour and to live by. So if the Sabbath is God's appointed time to bring blessing and abundance into our home, Let's just really clarify what the Sabbath is not then, okay, so that we're really clear. So first, as we said, the Sabbath is not a Jewish thing, okay? It's a God thing that he's put in place. It's an appointed time where his shalom, his peace and well-being can come in to our lives. Uh, the Sabbath is not Sunday either. It's not the day that we go to church, okay? In Western culture, church is on a Sunday generally, but God... Uh, never intended church to be on a Sunday morning. What he wanted in terms of Sabbath was a day given over to me or an appointed time where you come into my presence and you rest from everything else and you spend time with me, okay? So Sabbath is not somber. It's not legalistic. It's not a religious thing either. So we just need to boot that out of our, our thinking and our mindsets that the Sabbath is a religious thing. Um, but also we need to understand that we're not worshipping the Sabbath. We're worshipping the Lord of the Sabbath. So when we have an appointed time, remember when I, what I said last week, it's not about, right, I've got to come to sundown Friday and, and, and sundown Saturday and we have to have 24 hours. No, I believe that God wants sometime within, within that kind of time an appointment with us. Not just as individuals, uh, because we all spend time with the Lord. 
But as we gather as a family, as household, or you might have some friends around for dinner, that we have an appointed time where we spend time eating together in fellowship. Is another biblical word, fellowship, the sharing of life together. But we also break bread. We pray for each other. We affirm each other by using the word of God. And we pray into the situations of life. We speak blessing over our kids and those that are with us. That's what God wants the Sabbath to be, to give space for him to come in and work and move. What else did we look at last week? We looked at um, God being Lord of his kingdom. So there was a slate that we used for that, where, where that you can see now on the screen where it's, it's, there's God, there's Jesus, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then he's Lord and Lord, uh, Lord of lords of his kingdom. So we're all then part of his kingdom. So you then have the church, the universal church. You then have the local church within that. And then we looked at primarily last week, the believer in the home. And we said that the strength of the local church was really determined by the life and the dynamic of what was going on in our homes. And if his lordship is restored in the way that he wants it to be, and we see his life and power at work in that way, what would the local church be like then when we come together? What would it look like when we do meet on a Sunday and we worship God and we hear the word and, and we see people's lives massively impacted by him? What would it look like in our small groups if in our own homes, Jesus really is Lord and we're living in that way and we're giving him that appointed time for him to come in with his shalom to bring total health and well-being and, and, and the things that he doesn't want to happen in our homes. He doesn't want sickness in our family. How many believe that? He wants us to have healing and wholeness in our homes. When we give God space and, and, and we invite his shalom to come in, then nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing lost. It means sickness is going to have to go. Issues are going to have to go. Troubles are going to have to leave. Angst is going to have to go. Why? Because God's shalom is more powerful than any of that stuff. Amen. And so we want to we wanna see the, res the restoration, if I can put it that way, of the lordship of who God is in our homes, in our families, in our households. So in Ephesians 4, uh, it talks about the local church. It talks about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. It says that their, their, their responsibility is to equip the believers, to equip the church, to equip the saints, as it talks about, for works of service, for ministry, to be effective in their lives. And some of that needs to be training people as believers in their homes, how to, how to live effectively as believers in our homes, how to see the shalom of God come into that place. And we said and again last week, just to recap so that we're all on the same page as we, we look at what God wants to continue speaking about and doing this morning, that, that me as the pastor or the pastor of a church doesn't bring God's authority into your home you bring God's authority into your home. Your home is your environment. Your home is where God comes and inhabits himself or reveals himself or presences himself amongst you. And so it's in your home that you are the ones that minister to the Lord. You are the ones that cultivate that environment. I can't do that for you in your home. My responsibility is to see that in my home with my family and whoever else comes into my home or might live in our home, that they come into that environment that I and my wife have a responsibility to create in our home. And so you have that in your home. And as we've said already, the first ecclesia, the first church was really Adam and Eve with God on that seventh day. Now, how many of you know that the devil does not like family? 
The devil does not like family. So what does he attack in society? He attacks family life. We see that so much of family life in our, in our nation, in our culture is fragmented in different ways. There's a lot of divorce. There's a lot of breakdown of relationship. There's a lot of unforgiveness. There's a lot of revenge. There's a lot of troubles and angst in that family environment. Why does the enemy focus to try and destroy family life? Because family life is a backbone of society. Family life is a backbone of our culture. If we have healthy families, we're going to have a healthy culture. But if we have fragmented families, we're going to have a fragmented culture. Why? Because everything going on in our culture stems from what is going on in the home. Everything going on out there stems from what happens in our homes. It's amazing when you think about it because so often we can blame the government, we can blame this, blame that and blame the other for all the problems. But actually, what goes on in society is a product of how we live in our homes, relationally and in terms of values, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of what we do and how we are. What happens in our homes defines and determines what our culture is like. Because how we are in the home, we live it out and express it out there. And, uh, and God wants healthy families, healthy church, so we have a healthy culture and healthy society. So God has a kingdom pattern and a kingdom order that can bring healing to the fragmentation, that can bring healing into the home and into families. Not only... Uh, those that believe in Jesus and have relationship with him. But there might be some people here this morning in, in various congregations and you don't know the Lord. We know there are many, many people in our society that don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know the goodness of God. They don't know the shalom of God. People that don't know how amazing God is and what he can do in their lives. But God has a, an order. God has a pattern. God has a plan. God has a way of bringing his shalom into our lives, into our homes. So we're going to unpack this morning. You ready? So there's going to be quite a bit on the screens uh, over the next few minutes. So we're going to be looking at and following through. Okay. So let's start in Exodus 20 verse 1. And we're going to go through quite a few verses here. And, and this is the Lord speaking. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land or out of the house of slavery. So he's speaking to the Israelites here who were who had been in Egypt and he, uh, and he was reminding them saying, I am the one, I am the Lord. I am the one that was there with you. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of the house of slavery, but I'm bringing you into another house now. And it's the house of Shalom. It's the house of freedom. It's the house of healing. It's the house of deliverance. It's the house of freedom. So God's bringing us into a new house. Amen. How many of you want to live in that new house? Any more enthusiasm than that? God wants to bring you into a new house. So what we're going to look at, what is God's pattern? Now, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments this morning and we're going to see God's pattern for the laws of life. Now, when we say the laws of life, we don't mean the Old Testament law. 
that the, the people had to abide by it, it, and, and try and fulfill. With the Ten Commandments are God law, God's laws for life. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, that means somebody who's not Jewish. It doesn't matter what race, what nation, what nationality, what culture you are, you are. God put these things in place. And if we live according to God's ways, then we will see His life and power affecting not only our homes, but also our society and the culture that we live in. How many of you believe that? So let's have a look at this. Now, before you kind of switch into, hang on a minute, are we just going to go through 10 things and we've got to do this, got to do that, got to do, no. We're going to look at them in the context of the life of God in us, not just us trying to fulfil 10 commands that God gives, okay? So many people, again, think that the 10 commandments are Jewish. They're for the Jews or something where they're just the law or they're legalistic things that we're supposed to observe. No, no, they're the laws for life. So let's just pick one for a minute. The, uh, the sixth one, it says, you shall not murder. Now, do you think that that command is just given for Jewish people? No, I don't think so. It, God didn't just say to Jews, you shall not murder. That is, that's, that is a principle that the world lives by. Everybody says that murder is not right. The taking of somebody else's life is not right. So we, we keep that commandment, don't we? Then let's pick another one. You know, you shall not commit adultery. Was that just for Jewish people? No, that's a law of life because where there's adultery, uh, there's the breakdown of marriage, the breakdown of family. It brings fragmentation. And God knows that if we love one another, honour one another, lay our lives down for one then that brings a whole nother dynamic of life into our marriages and into our, our families. So let's just kind of park some of the things that we think is Jewish, it's legalistic, the Ten Commandments. No, 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 no. These are laws for life, okay? So let's have a look at God's order, God's pattern, because this is going to release life into us. So just stick with me for a few minutes. Is that okay? So God's order. Firstly, the first couple of, of commandments are really focused on the Lord. He says, you shall have no other gods except me and you shall have no other idols. Now, why does God say that? Because he says, I am the only God. I am the one true living God. I am the one that you're to worship. I am your exclusive God and there is to be no other in your life. So firstly, he says, there's no other gods out there. There might be many religions out there in life that believe in some sort of God or being, but the Bible is clear that there's only one true living God and that's the God of heaven and the God of earth. Okay, and he's saying, I'm not going to come second place to anybody else. I'm not going to give my glory to anybody else. Then he also says as part of that, have no other idols. What is an idol? An idol is something that is man-made. An idol can be a piece of clothing. It could be a car, it could be a house, it could be a phone, it could be stuff that you chase after in life that can become the focus. Well, that's like idols in our lives. And he's saying, I don't want you to have any other idols, nothing man-made before me that you give yourself to. I want you to give yourself to me. So what if we're going to have God's lordship in our homes, then we want it to be number one, right? We want it to be right at the centre of our homes, of our lives. So we want to honour him. Okay, then the third one, the third command is, is um, as we see on the screen there, is that we don't use his name in vain. Now, we know in our culture, our society, that, that many people uh, use the name of Jesus as a swear word. Many people are using the word Jesus Christ as a swear word or they say Christ Almighty or they say, you know, God this, that or the other. And, and 
the third command there is clear that says, don't use my name in vain. Why? Because his name is holy. And so therefore we want to honour his name and revere his name. And therefore in our homes, we want to make sure that we are honouring his name because his name is holy. But then let's look what happens next. So we would all say, how many of you would agree that he's the only God? He's the God of heaven and earth. He's the one that we worship, right? How many of us don't want other idols in our lives? We want him to be the one that we give ourselves to. How many of you don't want to use his name in vain? You don't want to use his name as a swear word because his name is holy. So we would say, yeah, I want to live those three commands. I want to live in the good of those things. Then let's have a look at number four. Number four, he reminded us, remember to keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Or remember to keep the Sabbath day because it's holy, however it's phrased. Interesting. The first three, we would say, yeah, um, we want to live those. The fourth one where he says, it's a command in the same way as the others are. Keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day for it is holy. Now, it's interesting. We've just seen why do we why do we worship him? He's the only true living God because he is holy. But then he calls the Sabbath holy. And last week we, we saw that the Sabbath was a sacred time, an appointed time with God. And he said and he said himself about the seventh day, keep it because it is holy. Because on that name, we want to remember who God is on that day. We want to remember who God is, but we also want to honour Him on that day. So we want to remember what He's done for us and what He's done in our lives, but we also want to honour Him and worship Him because He is holy and we want Him to be number one in our lives. So keep the Sabbath because it is holy. Then we look at the next one. Honour your father and mother. How many of you want to do that? See that in your life? Honour your father and mother. It's interesting, isn't it? How we look through the, the rest of them, you know, um, do not murder, do not commit adultery, uh, do not bear false witness, do not um, uh, be jealous of uh, anybody else or, or what some of the commands say about don't look at somebody else's wife and, and uh, want her instead of yours, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we would read all of those and we go, yeah, great. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we'd say, yeah, let's keep nine of them. But the fourth one, well, we don't do that because that's, that's Old Covenant. Or we don't do that because that's Jewish. Or we don't do that because that's religious. Actually, the fourth one there, keep the Sabbath because it is holy, is the bridge in our lives from knowing God, the first three, that he's number one, he's Lord, we worship him, he's the Holy One, he's the one we give our lives to. And then how we express that in the commands five through to 10 is how we relate our relationship with God to other people in life. So if we love God, we're going to love others. If we honour God, we're going to honour others. And, and the, it's interesting how the fourth one there about the Sabbath and keep that appointed time with Him. Don't have so much stuff going on in your life that God is crowded out. Make sure that appointed time is given because that's going to be a connection to bring the life of God and who He is into your relationships, into your home, into your family to see that expressed and outworked in the way that God wants to. Why does He want the Sabbath as a holy time because he's our exclusive God. He wants his name to be honoured and worshipped in our home. 
if the Sabbath is about God's shalom, total well-being, that means God wants to deal with any dysfunction. He wants to deal with any disorder. He wants to deal with any dis-ease. Why? Because we're not in a house of slavery anymore, but we're in a house of healing, a house of wholeness, a house of well-being, a home and a house of shalom. Amen. So whether you live on your own, whether you live in a family context with your immediate family, whether you live with some other singles and you live as a household, you're sharing a house together, whether you're in a situation where uh, your husband and wife and maybe one of you knows Jesus and one of you doesn't know Jesus, those that are believers, you, you, and, uh, you can still spend time, set a time in the week where you say, Father, I want your shalom to come into my home in a fresh way. I want to make space for you to come. I'm going to break bread. Even if it's on my own, I'm still going to break bread. I'm going to honour you. I'm going to give myself to you afresh. I'm going to pray for my friends and family that don't know you yet because I'd love for them to come to know you. And I know you, you want them to come to know you so they can come into this shalom, this life, this peace and everything that you want to, to give them. Amen. So it doesn't matter what your situation, you can still see God's life and power come in. So if, if the Sabbath is like a bridge, an appointed time with God that then brings that release, what does that mean to have Sabbath in our home? It means to, to get around the table. It means to eat together. One of the things in our family over the years as our kids were growing up, every day was, was like we eat together as a family. So whatever time, half five, quarter six, six o'clock, whatever time it was, it's like, guys, we're all here for dinner. We all sit around the table. And, and, and mobile phones, they all have to go over the side. Um, we don't use our mobiles while we're having dinner because we don't want to be in the room with somebody else somewhere else. We want to be in the room with one another and we want to give our time and attention to each other. And we're going to talk about the day, how it was going at school, what was going on in our lives and, and, and some of the challenges around uh, how do you live in a culture uh, that we do, that is so pressurised in different ways. And so in that environment, we were talking about how do we live as Christians at school? How do we live as Christians at work? How do we live and how do we handle challenges and conversations and questions? And, and we, we, we talk about those things. We prayed into those things. And then also, not every day, we regularly, you know, we would have communion and break bread together because we're saying, Jesus, you're Lord of our lives, you're Lord of our homes, and we want your life and your power to be at work amongst us. And at other times we'd spend and we'd pray for our kids and speak blessing over them. And, and that's something, I mean, imagine how powerful that is when you're sitting around the dinner table and you don't have to turn it into a meeting. Don't turn it into a meeting where suddenly you go, okay, kids, we're going to get serious now. And uh, suddenly we're going to have a meeting, we're going to have communion. You know, in the early church, they, they said they were in each other's homes. They broke bread and, they, and, and, and it was joyful. They celebrated, they rejoiced. You know, you don't have to turn it into a meeting. You can be eating dinner and they say, hey guys, come on, let's break bread. Let's pray together. And you can get some bread and break it. And, and, and you say, hey, this is the body of Jesus. And, and this is what it means, this is what it represents. We're going to look at that next week, more details about this. And then the cup, the juice or the wine or whatever it is, this is what this means. And we eat and drink. Hey guys, let's pray some things now. Let's speak, you know, uh, uh, into that situation at school and let's see it change. Maybe that, that, that bullying that's going on, let's pray about it and see that change so that bullying stops and all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing then you begin to see what God does in that context and in that environment. So imagine sitting around the table and the next one, number five, is honour your father and mother. Well, for our kids to honour us as parents, they need to see us honouring the Lord. 
They need to see us honouring one another in our relationship the way that we are. And so that our kids grow up in an environment where they are more affected and more shaped by what goes on around our table in our home than being around somebody else's table somewhere else who lives a different lifestyle, has a different way of thinking, a different philosophy. And when I say somebody else's table, I don't just mean somebody else's dining table at their house. I mean, what out there in the world, different people's philosophies and opinions and pressure that is on our, our young people, our kids, that, that when our children are out, there is somebody out there somewhere saying, you're supposed to live like this. You're supposed to behave like this. You need to wear this. You need to do this. If you're going to be accepted and, and, and all of this. And they're constantly trying to challenge identity and values and everything out there. And if we don't build those values and that identity into our own family, into our children saying, this is who you are in God. This is how God sees you. This is how God thinks about you. This is how I see you as your dad or how I see you as your mum. This is what we want to speak over your life. And, and if we don't shape and form, right, you know, from early days, you know, the, the, uh, what's going on in the life of our kids, then somebody else out there is going to try and shape them and form them into something else. Stats show that 40% of teenagers leave the church before they reach 18 years old. They've had enough. There's no reality there or it's boring or it's something or other. And as parents, we need to take responsibility. So the rubber hits the road a little bit here. We need to take responsibility for our kids in our home. Now, some of you might be saying, well, yeah, but we didn't become Christians until later on in life and our kids were already 11, 12, 14, 16 and, and we made so many mistakes. Today is a day where you can draw a line and say, okay, up to this point, things have been how they are. And today I believe God wants us to step over a line and say, God, I give you my home. I give you my family. I give you the context that I am in right now. Father, I'm, yes, I've made mistakes or I haven't done things very well. The, 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 the devil wants you to look at the past and say, look at all the mistakes. You've, you've done this, that and the other. Today God's saying, draw a line. Let's step over that line and say, okay, from today onwards, God, we want to begin to see your shalom come into our homes in a fresh way. We want to begin to at least gather around the table once a week. We're going to eat together, spend a couple of minutes even. If that's all it is, a couple of minutes praying together. If that's all you, you can do at the beginning, it's great. Don't put yourself under any pressure. We're not talking about like having a one hour service at your dinner table. And after 10 minutes, your kids are going Oh my word, when are we going to finish? And all of that kind of stuff. Because this isn't about fulfilling a function. It's not about doing a religious activity. What we're talking about is bringing the life of who God is into our homes and lives in a fresh way. Amen. So honour your father and mother. So our, our, our families, our households, whoever else comes into our homes, they need to see us uh, honouring God in our homes. And if we honour God, and we bring our kids up in that way, they're going to say, hey, I want to honour my parents because they're helping, they're helping me to get to know God, helping me honour God. And so there's a, the fruit of that that takes place uh, in our lives. The next one is, is um, you shall not murder, don't murder. Now, Jesus moved it on from there. He didn't just say murder. He said, he said don't even get angry with your brother. Wow. How many of you know that we live in a culture where people get pretty offended pretty easily? 
We live in a context where people get very angry very quickly. People are very strong in opinions. And if if you don't agree with me or you do something against me, you know, I get offended and and some people want revenge and, and, and the violence and the crime and all the stuff that we have in our culture and society. Well, we, we, it's, it's very unforgiving in terms of our culture. And we want to raise our kids. We want to raise people in our households to understand, actually, hey, guys, no matter what people do against us, we forgive. We want to raise our kids to be merciful. We talk about that. So how do you handle it when people are giving you a hard time at school or at college or at work or wherever it is? How do you handle when people are attacking you, having a go at you? How do we be merciful? How do we be gracious? How do we forgive? How do we let things go so that stuff doesn't build up in us. So we want to help to shape our kids in in the right way around the table. Then you've got do not commit adultery. Jesus took that even further. He said, even if you look at woman lustfully, it's like you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Wow, that's a whole nother level than just an outward action. We live in a sex-filled culture. Everywhere you look, whether it's out there, whether it's on the TV, on social media, wherever it is, it's like this this culture of lust, this culture of self-gratification that is out there. Pornography is a huge issue in our culture and, and it's out there. But what, what the one thing about lust is it's never satisfied. The more you feed it, the more it wants. And we live in a culture that looks at the opposite sex as objects. So instead of looking, instead of guys looking at women and saying, that is a woman, that's a person. So often men look at women as objects. And even the other way around, often women can look at men as objects. Now, we can counteract that. God has a plan and purpose. And one of the ways in which we counteract that is when we get round the table, we're sharing life, we're sharing communion. And we're talking about how to live as believers, how to live in the face of the challenges of this kind of sexualized culture. Now, you might not do that with your two-year-old, you know, but as your, as your kids are growing older and they're becoming aware of the stuff that is out there in terms of boy-girl stuff or, or gender identity and all the, all the things that are going on in our culture and society and the questions and the thinking and the possible confusion that can be going on, we want to make sure that around our table, we're raising our kids. How do you have a healthy friendship with someone? How do you have a healthy friendship with somebody of the opposite sex? How do you love someone, have a healthy friendship without it becoming lustful or self-centred and, and all of that? How do we love people that don't live a lifestyle in the same way that we do? They might have a different outlook. And it's important that we are raising our kids in that way. So what's another one? No stealing. What, what does that mean? Well, so many people want, they, they cheat, they steal, they put others down to get ahead. There's a fear of lack. There's, a, there's need. People are anxious. So therefore, people are, uh, there can be corruption. There can be people going after stuff. I want to cut corners. I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'm not going to do this, that and the other. Ultimately, what is that? Well, without God in our lives, we don't understand that He is our provider. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first His kingdom and righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. When you're a believer, God is developing a relationship of trust with Him. And when we trust God, we don't need to cheat. We don't need to steal. We don't need to put others down. We don't need to try and get ahead. Uh, we don't need to fear lack. We don't need to be anxious. Why? Because He is our provider. He is our provision. Imagine cultivating that around the table 
in those that you live with, those that you're sharing life with. Then what's the next one? Don't have false witness. You know, uh, what does that mean? Don't lie. It means don't manipulate. Don't try and control. So many people, because of things that have happened in their life, they, they don't know anything else but to lie, manipulate and control. And, and, and God wants to bring freedom into people's lives so they don't stay like that. So in our homes, imagine sitting around the table and, and cultivating conversation that says, how do you be a person of truth? How do you live honest in a culture that is fairly dishonest? How do we live secure in who we are in a culture that is very insecure in that way? Wouldn't it be amazing as we raise our kids and families in this way? Then the last one is don't cover, don't be jealous. And, and where does, what, what's at the root of coveting? The root of coveting or being jealous is we're comparing our lives with somebody else's and we're saying they have a better life or they have better stuff than we do. And therefore, I will have a better life if I have their lifestyle or their stuff. If I had his wife, I would have a better marriage. And if I had my wife and all that stuff that can go on in people's heads and lives. Where does a lot of that come from? Lack of identity, lack of security. If you know your identity and where your security is, then you don't go after other stuff. You're not going after someone else because identity is a huge issue. People don't know who they are. There's a lot of confusion out there. And we, we want to make sure around our table, we're raising our kids, raising our families, whoever might live with us, conversations with people who come into our home, in our small groups and different environments like that. We don't want to point the finger and say, we're right, the world is wrong. Absolutely not. Because those of us that know God know how good God has been in his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to do what he's done in our lives to give us a new life. And people that don't know the Lord, God wants to be merciful and totally forgiving towards you as well in terms of surrendering your life and, and him coming into your life. So what happens when we, we build our lives around the table in the way that we are doing? And what do we really mean We're around the space that we want to give God in our lives? It means that it's like a, an antidote is built into our lives or inoculation, prevention, if you like, that enables our kids, enables us in the context of the pressures of the world, not to then succumb to them and come under them and be influenced by them, but actually because of what God is doing in us and how we affirm our kids and speak life over them and pray for them and speak well of them, that releases a confidence in them to be who God wants them to be in the face of a challenging culture of fashion and trend and conforming, all of that. There's something stronger on the inside of them, stronger on the inside of us that says, no, I want to live according to who God is. And therefore we go out in that security and in that identity. We have fragmentation in our society. And so people live with social anxieties, mental disorders, anxiety, depression, panic attacks. We know that suicide is, is a, a prevalent thing in our culture and our society. Much of our society operates on fragmentation, but God does not want it to be that way. And it starts in the home as we have been looking at. So what is God's way? God's way is wholeness. God's way is healing. What is that? It's shalom. God's complete wholeness, total well-being, His abundance, nothing missing, nothing lost. So where does the healing of society come from? It obviously it comes from God. Where does it start? It starts in the home. God wants to rebuild family. 
rebuild the home in our nation. And as a church and as Christians, we want to have healthy families, healthy homes and healthy environment for others to come into and be part of. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that you want shalom in our homes. We thank you, you've given us this appointed time called the Sabbath as like a bridge between our relationship with you and then seeing that outworked in others. Father, I just thank you right now as we just spend the next couple of minutes just praying that we draw a line this morning and where the enemy would say your parenting's not been very good or it's not been this, that and the other. We draw a line today and say, no, I'm going to step over that line and I'm going to step into something new with God. As we responded last week with that song, New Wine, you know, there can be pressing, there can be crushing, there can be challenges, but in that place that you work in us, there's new wine released. And so Father, I thank you for the new wine of your life being released in us, in our homes. And Father, I just thank you. There's no condemnation for any one of us in terms of how we've lived or how we've parented or anything. We thank you for new beginnings, new starts in these coming days and weeks. And so, Father, we praise your awesome name for your shalom, your abundant well-being, complete wholeness, nothing missing, nothing lost, the way things are supposed to be in our homes, in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.